Hey. Hey, Jess. Oh, <laughs> jinx. <laughs> hey, Jess. Hey, Kat. Sup, homebodies. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's good. So last time we talked was right before my Colorado trip um, for my best friend's wedding. And when I was there in Estes Park, we did a wine tasting at the Stanley Hotel. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. It was so cool. Kat, like, you, I didn't do a ghost tour or anything like that. You would have liked it. It's super cool. Like, the room we had the wine tasting in was the music room. And, oh. which is where, like, the ladies would hang out back in the day. Yeah. Um, and literally, it's like windows all around the room facing the mountains. It's gorgeous, and it's, like, white. That sounds so pretty, but, like, I know what's there, and so it's, like, does it take away from the beautiful experience that is Colorado? Well, no. So I didn't, like, feel anything. Oh, that's good. But... honestly, if you'd have said something else, I'd be like, oh, God, <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta go. No, but, um, Flora uh, Stanley's piano was in that room. So, Shut up. yeah, and it's only been refurbished once ever. Oh, chills. So it was, it was very, very cool. Very cool experience. If you guys are ever in Estes Park, definitely go. Um, they have like a whiskey bar downstairs that you can do whiskey tastings in. John was down there. I was upstairs. Um, <laughs> they have a Miss Michelin star chef. So their food is phenomenal. I didn't get to so eat it. So they have but... a Michelin star like restaurant there? Yeah. It's like Wow. Yeah. Okay. Their food is like very good. Okay. I only got a cheese board, but it was fantastic. <laughs> the five hundred dollar Michelin star cheese board. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it wasn't that expensive, honestly. It was um I mean everything was kinda overpriced there just because it's such a small town, but it wasn't it really wasn't like out of this world expensive that's cool so still cool though yeah also part of like an experience oh you know? also you'll love this downstairs in the whiskey room uh they have a dog i forget his name but there's a dog that like lives there at the I hotel like, and he's so cute almost thought you were gonna say a dog like the ghost kind like, no. I was waiting for you to say that it's a dead dog that everybody just kind of sees casually and nobody gets upset about it because it's a dog ghost. No, it's a real dog. And he, Aww. his bed was like part of a, like the top of a whiskey barrel. Like, oh, that's cool. Kind of carved out. And he, yeah, yeah, it's super cool. That is cool. He's very nice. He likes people. <laughs> He's a friendly dog. He's a friendly dog. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you had such a good time. Yeah. So now That's I'm awesome. back and I'm going to bring down the mood. <laughs> <laughs> and on that high note, let's go down. <laughs> so what's going to make me stay inside for the rest of my life now, Jess? Um, we're going to talk about Charles Manson and the Manson family today. Okay, let's jump in. Okay.
how I kind of structured this one was I'm going to start talking about Charles himself and like his youth to adulthood and then how the family came about and then what happened after that. (laughs) Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm here for it. Let's go. So just to preface, the Manson family, also known as the family, was a commune slash cult led by Charles Manson between 1967 and 1970. They call them the family? The family. Like, why can't, like, like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air be the family? Right. Or, you know, like, let's, let's get to somebody else. Like, the, that 70s show. That 70s show. The family. Show. Like, somebody else. I agree. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Charles Mills Man- Maddox was born on November 12th, 1934. So he's a Scorpio, like me. <laughs> like me. His mother, Kathleen, was just 15 years old at the time. So, yeah, we're going to get into that it. teenage he- mom train. <laughs> Ayo. Yeah, we're going to get into it, but he did not have the best childhood. I mean, <clears throat> you got babies raising babies. Yeah. Um, Charles' father was believed to be Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. That's a mouthful. Oh my who, gosh. Who was a con artist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, there's one of those in every family. Solid guy. Yep. Um, <laughs> Kathleen thought that he was an army colonel, but colonel was just his given name so in shut up oh my gosh oh my gosh instead of correcting her on it he kind of fed into the belief that that was his name well that's pretty hilarious yeah like (laughs) i don't have any words that one's just that that's a little dumbfounding that somebody could be so dumb but whatever (laughs) When Kathleen told him she was pregnant, he told her he was being deployed, but after several months, she realized that he had no intention of returning. (laughs) (laughs) So that reminds me of like 50 first dates where he jets off on a jet ski. He's like, I'll give you $50. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she's like, I was being super bamboozled, but now I'll be less bamboozled. Oh, wow. Okay. But wait for this. Um, Before Charles' birth, uh, Kathleen married a man named William Eugene Manson, who worked at a dry cleaners. I don't want to say she settled, but okay. Yeah. Their marriage seemed okay until Kathleen started going on drinking sprees with her brother, who was named Luther, and would leave Charles with multiple babysitters. And I mean, it takes a village. I guess. But because <laughs> because she kept leaving and going out drinking with her brother, like, William divorced her in 1937. But, oh, wow. Yeah, Charles ended up keeping his last name. Okay. My dad did that. He kept his stepdad's last name. On August 1st, 1939, Kathleen and Luther were arrested for robbery and assault. Wow, his mom is just a stand-up citizen all over. Yeah, dude. Like, uh, she's great. She's obviously, like, a bright, intelligent, honest young woman. <laughs> what? Oof. Um, 
I should know what I should have done. I should have gone into her past just to see what like fucked her up this much. Right. Like aside from getting pregnant early, but right. There's only 15 years between where we started and where (laughs) she started. I I say that shit about my mom all the time. I'm like, I've known you most of your life, Candace. Like, let's not get there. (laughs) Shout out to Candace. She's the best. (laughs) Um, what was I saying? Yeah. They were arrested for robbery and assault. Luther was sentenced to five years in prison, and Kathleen was sentenced to ten years in prison. Why did she get more? Uh, probably because she was, like, the mastermind behind it. I don't know. Oh, it was, like, her idea, and he was probably just, like, along for the ride? Yeah. Charles was then placed with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia. Kathleen was uh, paroled in 1942. Charles would later say that the first weeks after she returned home were the happiest of his life. Which is kind of sad. Aww. That is sad. She was later arrested for grand larceny, but wasn't convicted. Then the family moved to Indianapolis, where Kathleen met a man in AA and married him in August of 1943. I met a man in AA, and then I was swooned from there on. Oh. Oh, that's how every great relationship starts yep solid when (laughs) this is such a drastic jump when charles was nine years old he set his school on fire (laughs) (laughs) i guess there's really no way to ease into that no so then so then charles decided to grow up and then eventually lit his school on fire okay all right he also divulged in petty theft just dabble in it. Just a little bit. Just a dabble. Um, when he was 13, he was placed in the Gibalt School for Boys in Terre Haute, Haute, Terre Haute Indiana. <laughs> you sound like me. <laughs> I know. I like looked it up earlier, but it's like, and I know how to say it. It's just like second guess it because it's spelled weird. Terre Haute, Indiana. This was a school for bad kids that was ran by Catholic priests. So, you know, shit went down. <laughs> Punishment included beatings with a paddle or a leather strap. I feel like that was normal, though, for that time. Like, I feel like my, I think yeah. my dad has told me stories about him getting beat. So, like, not super unusual. Correct. Charles ended up running away and slept in the woods on his way home to his mother. He ended up spending Christmas at his aunt's house. His mom was there too. Then his mom decided to return him to Gibalt. But a mere 10 months later, he ran away to Indianapolis. There, practically starving, Manson robbed a grocery store. He found a cigar box with over $100 in it, took it, and used the money to rent a room and buy food in Indianapolis Skid Row. oh so when he ran away he was like gone yeah like to the point of like he's gone so long he's hungry because he doesn't have food correct okay um he got a job but that didn't last long as he decided to commit petty theft again he was (gasps) he was caught in 1949 and sent to boys town which was a, a juvenile facility in omaha nebraska could you imagine boys' school in Omaha, Nebraska? No, thanks. 
after four days, he and a buddy named Blackie Nielsen obtained a gun and stole a car. They committed two armed robberies on their way to Peoria, Illinois, where Blackie's uncle, who was a professional thief, lived. How does one become a professional thief? (laughs) A what? (laughs) (laughs) A professional thief. Um, I don't even know. (laughs) I don't know. That's a great question, but I don't want to find out, so... When no when they arrived, the uncle took them under his wing, kind of as accomplices, and showed them his ways. Two weeks later, Manson was arrested during a raid at a local at a local store in Peoria. The two earlier robberies were linked to him, and he was sent to the Indiana Boys School, which was a reform school. And now I'm gonna throw a trigger warning out there. For rape and abuse. So if you don't want to hear about that, skip ahead. And the laughing stops. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is like really sad. At the school, a staff member actually encouraged other students to rape Manson and repeatedly beat him. Holy shit. Yeah. I'd never heard that. That's terrible. Yeah. He ended up running away from that specific school 18 times. Oh. Yeah. It's really sad. During his time in the school, Charles Charles developed a coping mechanism and self-defense technique called the, quote, insane game. So when he was in situations where he was unable to physically defend himself, he would pretend to be insane by screeching making crazy faces, and waving his arms. I... Okay. I mean... He's he's trying to survive. Yeah, Yeah. like... Okay. Poor little Charles Manson. Yeah. That's insane. The teacher encouraged that shit? Yeah. I mean, feel bad for... Child Charles... Yes. Don't feel bad for adult Charles. I don't feel any bad for adult Charles, but like little child Charles is sad. Yeah. After a few failed attempts, he ended up escaping with three others in February 1951. Okay, so he's like out, like official. Yeah. They hatched up a plan to steal a car and drive to California. On their way, they would rob gas stations, but they ended up getting caught and were arrested in Utah for driving a stolen car across state lines. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's an offense. Charles was sent to Washington, D.C. to the National Training School for Boys. Once he arrived, he had to take an aptitude test that showed he was illiterate but had an above-average IQ of 109. Staff members described him as aggressive and antisocial, which is no bueno. So, he's very intelligent. He's just illiterate? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's okay. Like street smarts, not book smart? Yeah. No, that's... I don't know. Like, to me, that's a a weird place to be, especially, like, in the 50s, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. He was transferred in 1951 to a minimum security institution. 
a minimum he, security. Yeah. Don't they know that this kid's been breaking out of everything since he was 10? Yeah. Gosh. Okay, yeah. sorry. Well, I guess because he hasn't really lashed out at people oh, at this so point. Oh, so he hasn't hurt anybody. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. That will change. Um, he had a parole hearing scheduled for February 1952, but in January he was caught raping a boy at knife point. That escalated quickly? Yes. Um, he was then transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia, where he committed eight serious disciplinary offenses, three including homosexual acts. He was transferred to a, a maximum security reformatory in Ohio. Okay. He ended up getting out on good behavior in 1954 and went to live with his aunt and uncle again. That blows my mind. This teenager has a rap sheet the size of Santa's list and he's Starting just... at nine years old. Yeah. And then they're just like, yeah, no, you're good. Just go live with your aunt, bud. It'll be good. What? Yeah. Talk about a justice system fail. Yep. Well, this was like way back in the day. True. I hope it's better now, but who the fuck knows? <laughs> in 1955, when he was 20, he married Rosalie Jean Willis, who was a hospital waitress. Charles and Rosalie, who was pregnant at the time, arrived in LA in a car he had stolen from Ohio. So he's not better. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like he was going to change his ways or anything. Um, Manson was caught with the car and was given five years probation. (laughs) Again, with the rap sheet, but okay. Yeah. After failing to appear in court, he was sentenced to three years imprisonment at Terminal Island in L.A. Oh, wow. Okay. What? Okay. Yeah. Rosalie gave birth to a son, Charles Manson Jr., when he was still in prison. Rosalie ended up moving in with his mother in L.A., and they visited Charles frequently. But in 1957, Rosalie stopped visiting, and his mother told him that Rosalie was living with another man. Oh, the plot thickens. (laughs) The (laughs) tea. The tea. In 1958, Rosalie filed for divorce. The same year, Charles was out on parole, and by November, he was pimping out a 16-year-old girl and was receiving additional financial support from a different girl with wealthy parents. Jaw drop? Okay. Um, yeah, I like, there's, okay. there's no predicting, like, the next thing he's gonna do. Like, we go from petty theft. No, 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 no. Lighting your school on fire to some <laughs> petty theft, and now you're a pimp. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Just, yeah, just wait. It only goes, like, more and more I know. Insane. I'm, like, sitting here, like, oh, my gosh. Um, in September 1959, he pleaded guilty to attempting to cash a forged check and received a 10-year suspended sentence. A girl named Leona made a plea before a court that she and Manson were, quote, deeply in love and would marry. And then they did. Leona, who had a prostitution record, and another girl (laughs) 
man. So Leona and another girl went with Manson to New Mexico for him to essentially pimp them out there. He was held and questioned for violating the Mann Act, which is, quote, an act to further regulate interstate and foreign commerce by prohibiting the transportation therein for immoral purposes of women and girls and for the other purposes. So it's like, yeah, you can't sell women. <laughs> In short, what this means is don't pimp out women. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm still... He just gets out of prison and he's like, yeah, I'm a pimp. And then he's like, what's next? (laughs) (laughs) And then? (laughs) And then? Yeah. He was released and disappeared in violation of his probation, which was when a warrant was issued for his arrest. Oh, an actual arrest. Not a little bit of probation sent to his aunt's house. Okay. Following the arrest of one of the women for prostitution, Manson was arrested in Laredo, Texas, and was returned to L.A. to serve 10 years in prison. He was taken from Laredo, Texas? Laredo, Texas. There is one reason to be in Laredo, Texas, and that is to be going to Mexico. Like, th- that's it. Like, Homeboy was if you're probably... in Laredo, homeboy's on the run. Yeah, he was probably on his way there. Yeah, like there's yeah. Laredo, Texas, and there's also Laredo, Mexico on the other side of a little imaginary line. Wait, so later on in this case, another Texas town is going to come up, and we both are going to die. <laughs> oh, God. I say that because I used to live in Texas, obviously. If you don't know that, well, now you do. So, Fun fact. Fun fact. That's how Kat and I met. Um, So back to Manson. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. He unsuccessfully tried to appeal. And in July 1961, he was transferred to the United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington. Here, he took guitar lessons from Alvin Creepy Carpus, who was a gang leader. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. In 1963, Leona was granted a divorce. But she was deeply in love with him, Jess. Oh, well, shit happens. Right. In 1965, Charles tried out to be in the Monkees, like the band The Monkees, like the 60s band The Monkees. What the hell? But was denied. (laughs) Wow, did they dodge a bullet there. Yeah. I wonder if they had a background check for you to, like, be in the monkeys. Then? I doubt it. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, they just simply dodged a bullet. I mean, maybe he sucked, but, I mean, now they're probably like, damn, we did a good job by not doing that one. Yep. He was released from prison on March 21st, 1967, meaning he had spent over 32 years in prisons and other institutions. At the age of, like, 35. At this point. Or was he 40? He was about 45. He was born in 1934. He was 33. Or, no, he was 43. (laughs) Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was like, wait, I thought he was, like, at least 40. 
Yeah, he's 43. Okay. Still. Yeah. Uh, Because of this, he told prison officials that prison had become his home, and he requested to stay, but they were like, nah. Oh my gosh, do you ever watch Trailer Park Boys? That's what it reminds (laughs) me of. Oh my gosh. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm going on vacation to begin... Oh my gosh. Now we're gonna <laughs> now we're gonna get into the culty shit. Oh god, okay. <clears throat> After his release in 1967, Manson moved to Berkeley from LA. Normally this would be a parole violation, but he got approval and was supervised by Roger Smith, who was a probation officer that was also a criminology doctoral researcher. Specifically, he studied the effects of drugs, specifically LSD. Patients in his clinic became his subjects of research, and this ultimately included Manson. So Manson was low-key doing LSD? Yeah. M- okay. Not low-key. I would say high-key. That's me. Yeah, you're like, uh, that makes him high-key doing LSD. High-key doing LSD. Okay. Don't high-key care. tripping balls. Um, <laughs> on the regular like. on the reg Manson moved to San <laughs> Manson moved to San Francisco and took LSD frequently Roger Smith described the change he'd seen in Manson's personality quote was the most abrupt change observed in his entire professional career so this man like dedicated himself to watching people and their reactions and effects from LSD and yeah. Manson was like Numero uno from all of them. Oh, yeah. So tripping balls, Manson began (laughs) preaching his own philosophy based on the Bible, Scientology, the book titled Stranger in a Strange Land, and the Beatles. Yes, the band, the Beatles. What am I supposed to do with that information? That's so bizarre. Just in store world. it in the back. That of your does room. that does sound like somebody on LSD, though. Let's be real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he gained his first follower, Mary Brunner, who was a librarian at UC Berkeley. Most of his followers ended up being women that he targeted specifically because they were easily manipulated and emotionally insecure, which is sad. I feel like that's usually where the cult. But makers go. Yeah. Manson would encourage large groups to take LSD, taking a lesser dose for himself, and then would convince them to essentially submit to him. Oh my gosh. That's terrifying. Okay. Mary Brunner became pregnant with Manson's child in 1967. On April 15, 1968, she gave birth to a boy in a condemned house that they were living in. She named her son Valentine Michael. By 1968, Manson had about 20 followers who were all under the supervision of Roger Smith, the parole officer doing the LSD trials, whatever. Eventually, Manson's following would be upwards of 100 followers. Oh, shit. I did not realize that's how big it was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Some of his core members included Charles Tex Watson, who was a musician and an actor. 
Bobby Busilil, who was a former musician and porn actor. Oh, okay. Mary Brunner, who was the librarian. Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Leslie Van Houten. Manson grew his family through drugs and prostitution. He was arrested in 1967 for trying to prevent the arrest of Ruth Ann Morehouse, who was one of his followers. But instead of being sent to prison, he was given three years probation. This would, that, those are about equal. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. This would happen three other times where he was arrested, but released rather than being sent to prison. Talk about a justice system fail. Yeah. On fail. On fail. Yeah. yeah. Um, Charles Manson was a white supremacist. Most cult leaders oh, are. There we go. Um, I was like, okay. Oh. Yeah, there it is. There right. it is. Um, right. He was a white supremacist who became fixated on the idea of an apocalyptic race war between the black and white populations. The fuck? Mm-hmm. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know that there's some wild people out there that think about things like that, but I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He believed that all the black people were going to kill all the white people. Oh, yeah, I totally understand that. Not. That's fucking weird. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your face, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, there's a... <laughs> <laughs> <I> think, uh... <laughs> Kat, do you have to tell me something? I, I know, right? Like, do we need to stop? <laughs> Abort this podcast. <laughs> I actually am one of Manson's followers. No. no I'm just kidding. That would You're be You're cut so off. You are cut right? off. Goodbye. <laughs> um, so this evolved the Manson family from a regular cult to a doomsday cult. <laughs> he told his followers that black people would kill all the white people except for the Manson family as long as they followed him and believed him to be their master. And somebody believed him. Uh, many people believed him for some reason. Oh, LSD, probably. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Manson was so paranoid that he hired motorcycle gang members to be security guards at his ranch that we'll talk about in a little bit. Lord. The term Helter Skelter was taken from a Beatles song, and he used this phrase in reference to the upcoming war. Okay, so now we're going to get into some family encounters and eventually some murders. (laughs) So there's no easy way to say that. (laughs) Here it comes, folks. In spring of 1968, Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys picked up two women from the family that were hitchhiking. He took them back to his house because they were tripping balls. (laughs) Is that really what you wrote down? They were tripping balls. I wrote (laughs) that down. That was the only (laughs) time I wrote it down, but I've said it many, many times in this podcast so far. You're like, that sounds about right. Yeah. The following night, when he came home from a recording session, he was greeted by Manson in the driveway. 
Wilson asked if he was going to hurt him. Manson said no, then started kissing his feet. Inside the house, he found 12 strangers, most of which were women. They ended up staying at his house for the next few months. Wilson covered their living costs of over $100,000, which included paying for his car that they completely destroyed and a treatment for gonorrhea. Oh my gosh. I was I was taking my time to process what you were saying about like these this guy showed up, kissed his feet, and he let him come inside. And when he came inside, all of these other people were there. And then all of a sudden, he's paying for all their gonorrhea treatments. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh oh my god. Okay, I'm trying to imagine this because like if somebody it's... walked up to me, kissed my feet, I'm kicking you in the face and running. It's literally so bonkers. And the fact that he was like a main celebrity, like the Beach Boys. Come on. Yeah, like this, like. This blows my mind. This sounds like this sounds like a like a like not even a lifetime movie, but like a Comedy Central special. <laughs> Literally, this what? is yeah. This is a uh, a very interesting. Like I said, you can't predict anything that's gonna happen. No kidding. Yeah, Wilson and Manson would like become friendly and sing and talk together, and then they would treat the women as servants. You know, the usual. As most, you know, crazy people do. Okay. Wilson even paid for studio time for Manson to record songs. And he introduced Manson to Rudy Altabelli, who owned a house that he rented to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. Sharon Tate was an actress and Roman Polanski was a big time director. So he's like trying to become like some like B-list celebrity Essentially. Oh, God. (laughs) So because Wilson rented the house um, when his lease expired, the family was eventually evicted because the landlord was like, yo, get out. (laughs) Yeah, the hell out of here. Yeah. From there, Manson and the family moved to Spawn Ranch, which would now be known as their home base which is where he tried to hire the motorcycle gang for security. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, The ranch was previously used as a TV and movie set for Western movies and shows. It was owned by 80-year-old George Spahn, who Manson convinced to let them reside there by demanding the women to sleep with him. Get out of town so the women would sleep with the old guy and then they would have a place to live ew all of this is so disgusting it it reminds me of Hugh Hef right (laughs) but like honky tonk Hugh Hugh Hef these women just had gonorrhea treatment (laughs) (laughs) it's a time of free love okay okay yeah I guess if you're on enough LSD what is gonorrhea yeah. Ugh. Ew. It's Ew. still disgusting if anybody's curious to answer to that question. Yeah. I don't like it. On March 23rd, 1969, Manson entered 150 Silo Drive uninvited. On his way up to the house, he came across Iranian photographer, hold on, Sharok Hatami. 
who was there to photograph Sharon Tate before she left for Rome the next day. Hatami asked Manson why he was there. Manson said he was looking for someone with a name he didn't recognize. Hatami told him to try the back alley, which led to the guest house. While Manson was walking to the guest house, Sharon Tate came out and asked what was happening. Manson came back to the front and then just left. That's a creepy encounter. Yeah. Later that evening, Manson returned to the property and went straight to the guest house. He went up to the covered porch and spoke with Altabelli, who was the homeowner. Manson asked for Melcher, who Altabelli explained had moved to Malibu. He then told Manson that he was leaving the country the next day, and Manson said he would like to discuss some things upon his return. Altabelli said he would be gone for a year and asked Manson to not disturb the tenants. Yeah. I don't know you. I don't know what you want. Leave the people that are staying living here alone. Yeah. Yeah. Altabelli and and Tate left for Rome the next day. So keep this in mind as I discuss other crimes that the family committed. So, um, Charles Tex Watson robbed a drug dealer named Bernard his nickname was Lots of Papa Crow. What a name. What, what a, a name. name. Bernard Lots of Papa Crow. <laughs> Crow responded by threatening to kill everyone at Spawn Ranch. In response to that, Manson shot Crow on July 1st, 1969. Oh shit. Yeah. Gary Allen Hinman was a music teacher and PhD student at UCLA. Sometime in the 60s, he befriended members of the family, allowing some of them to stay at his home. Manson believed Hinman was wealthy and had some members go over to his house to try to convince him to join the family and try to persuade him to turn over any assets he had in the process. Members Bobby Busilil... Mary Brenner and Susan Atkins went to his house, held him hostage for two days, and then Manson came in with a sword and slashed his face and ear. A sword? So slashed yeah. his face not enough to, like, kill him, but, like, make a mark, I guess. Ew, and his ear? Busilil stabbed him to death to Manson, Manson's instruction. And then one of them used Hinman's blood to write, quote, political piggy on the wall and drew a panther paw. A panther paw. (gasps) Yeah. Busilil was arrested on August 6, 1969, after being caught driving Hinman's car. Fucking idiot. The murder weapon was found in the tire well. All of that last, like, little second was unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. What I think their plan was, why they wrote Political Piggy and did a paw, was because they wanted people to think it was the Black Panthers that killed Oh, because time is context. Ah, I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess for some reason I was sitting here thinking, that's really odd, but now it makes a lot of sense. 
Okay. Glad I could clear that up. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking, like, a panther paw. Okay. Like, that's maybe she's just, like, finger painting. (laughs) No, it makes sense. There's a rhyme to the madness, I suppose. Yeah. On the night of August 8th, 1969, Manson told Tex Watson to take Susan Atkins, Linda Caspian, Caspian, and Patricia Krenwinkle to Melcher's former home, which is now Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski's home. Manson had told the family members to kill everyone there. In the house were Sharon Tate, who was eight and a half months pregnant, her friend Jay Sebring, who was her hair hairstylist and former lover. Okay. Still uh, gasp. <clears throat> I'm gonna try my best to say this name, but it's very not English, so Wachek Frikowski and his girlfriend Abigail Folger, yes, as in Folger's coffee. She was an heiress. Shut up! Yeah. The caretaker, William Gerritsen, and his friend Stephen Parent were also there. Roman Polanski, who was Sharon's husband, was in Europe working on a a film at the time. So, Tex Watson and the other women get to the house around midnight. Watson climbs the telephone pole and cuts the line. Oh, that's so scary. Thinking that the gate to the house was electrified or alarmed, they climbed over a bushy embankment into the yard. A car started coming down the drive, and Watson told the girls to hide in the bushes. The man in the car was the caretaker's friend, Stephen. Watson pointed a twenty-two caliber revolver at him, lunged at him with a knife, slashed his palm, tore off his watch, and then shot him four times in the chest and abdomen. Oh, my God. Then Watson and the girls pushed the car farther up the driveway. They pushed it? They pushed it. Because it was, like, on. It was running. He was trying to go down. So they probably put it in neutral, backed it up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Watson cut a window screen, gaining access into the house. He went in and opened the front door for Atkins and Krenwinkle. Frakowski was sleeping on the living room couch and heard whispering and then woke up. Watson kicked him in the head and when Frakowski when Frakowski asked who he was and what his intentions were, Watson replied, quote, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. Oh fuck. Imagine that being yeah. one of the last things you hear. Yeah, no thanks. Um yeah. Meanwhile, Atkins found the other occupants in the house and brought them into the living room. Watson tied Tate and Sebring together by their necks with rope and then slung it over a ceiling beam. Sebring started telling Watson to stop being so rough with Sharon Tate because she was pregnant. So Watson shot him and stabbed him seven times. Just because he... Oh my gosh. Yeah. Frakowski's hands were bound with a towel, but he was able to free himself and tried to attack Atkins. She started stabbing at his legs, but he fought his way to the front door and onto the porch. 
Watson caught up to him, hit him over the head with his gun, stabbed him repeatedly, and then shot him twice. Kasabian, who was the lookout in the driveway, heard the screaming and yelling and told Atkins that someone was coming to try and stop the murders where they were. So kind of like snapped out of it and was like, yo, this has got to stop. Yeah, this is crazy. I want no part of it. Like, stop. But obviously that was ignored. Folger had escaped from Krenwinkle and ran out the bedroom door into the pool area. But Krenwinkle caught up with her, tackled her to the ground, and started stabbing her. Watson came out and helped. Oh my god. Folger was stabbed a total of 28 times. Oh my god. Yeah. Frakowski continued to struggle across the lawn trying to escape, but Watson kept stabbing him, ultimately killing him. He suffered from 51 stab wounds and had been hit in the head with the gun. 13 times so hard that it bent the barrel and broke off part of the grip, which was recovered at the scene. Watson and Atkins are like the fucking craziest people. I don't know. To bend the barrel of a gun on a skull? Like, that's metal on bone? Like, that's... I, I can't... Like... Literally, the words are, I just simply can't imagine. I know. And they were trying so hard to get out of there. Like, it's so sad. Inside the house, Sharon Tate tried to plead for her life, asking to live long enough to give birth. But... Stop. I can't. That kills me. That breaks my heart. I know. But Atkins and Watson stabbed her 16 times, killing her. (sighs) And the baby. Yeah, that's terrible. Upon Manson's orders, Atkins wrote pig on the front door in Tate's blood. She did this in an attempt to get Bobby Bobby B out of jail to make police think the killer was still on the loose. Like trying to frame him. Like trying to get him out of jail. Oh. Trying to make... The police think that someone who committed the Hinman murder was still out. Right. Yeah. The next night, the group plus Manson went for a drive to a house at 3301 Waverly Drive in Los Feliz. A year earlier, Manson had attended a party in the house next door. He knew this home belonged to Lino LaBianca and his wife, Rosemary. Lino was a supermarket executive, and Rosemary owned a dress shop. So they were pretty wealthy. Yeah. Um, Manson and Watson went up the driveway and entered through the unlocked back door. (sighs) Manson woke up Lino, who was sleeping on a couch at gunpoint. Watson bound his hands, and Rosemary was brought into the living room. And then Watson put pillowcases over their heads and tied lamp cords around them so the pillowcases would stay on. With the lamp, like, hanging. <laughs> yeah. Um, Manson <laughs> left. And then Krenwinkel and Van Houten 
Van Houten. Van Houten. <laughs> you sound like me with all these trip-ups. <laughs> Krenwinkel and Van Houten. Houten. I don't know how I said it earlier. I'll figure it out. Entered the house. <laughs> I think it's Houghton. Van, Van Houghton. Van Houghton. <laughs> Entered the house. <laughs> At some... <laughs> At some point, Rosemary was brought back to the bedroom, and Watson began stabbing Lino in the living room. The first stab going to his throat. Okay, so that probably killed him nearly instantly. Or or made him bleed out, and then he died. Yeah. It takes like eight minutes to bleed out, I think. I don't even want to think about that. Sorry. No, you're, that's a fun fact, I guess. <laughs> well, now I want to look it up. So it takes five minutes for you to bleed out from a stab wound. Oh, shit. I mean, maybe the neck speeds it up a couple of seconds or something, but I guess an average is five minutes. Wow. That's so sad. Yeah. Rosemary tried to fend off the women by swinging around the lamp that was tied to her neck. Which is, like, really freaking smart. (laughs) I was about to say, that's resourceful as shit. Like... Yeah. Watson left Lino, went into the bedroom, saw what was happening, and went right up to her and stabbed her with the bayonet and returned to the living room to continue his assault on Lino. Watson stabbed Lino 12 times and carved the word war into his abdomen. What are they doing all of this political bullshit signs for like is any of this politically motivated or is it literally just like manson says yeah go get him," and they're like okay like i think they're just followers at this point so if manson says to do something then he does it like and like his it, his shit's not politically motivated at all uh, it's just hate and rage and i'm a terrible person yeah I fuck that's so scary I think I think he tries to tell people that it's politically motivated, but I don't think it truly is. Like, <sighs> I think it's like a front. Yeah. Um, after this, he went back into the bedroom and saw that Krenwinkel and Van Houten were stabbing Rosemary. Rosemary had been stabbed 41 times. Holy shit. Like, just let her be dead. I Yeah. Many being inflicted post-mortem, meaning she was already dead and they yeah. kept stabbing her. Yeah. Watson then cleaned his weapon and took a shower. In their shower? In their house? Yeah. These motherfuckers are very disrespectful. I was going to so. say, the audacity. Yeah. Krenwinkel wrote Rise and Death to Pigs on the walls. And then she wrote Helter Skelter on the refrigerator door in Leno's blood. Lino's. Helter Skelter? Leno's. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's from a Beatles song. Yeah, right. Yep. She also gave Lino 14 puncture wounds with a carving fork and left it jutting out of his stomach. She also planted a steak knife in his throat. Ew. That's so. I don't. I don't want to say dramatic. Or even overkill, but maybe that's where the term overkill comes from. Yeah, 
I, yeah, I would say yeah. Manson left earlier with a few other family members and went to actor Saladin Nader's house or apartment in an attempt to kill him. The group that was at the LaBianca's home were left to hitchhike home. He was like, bye, I'm taking the car. I don't know how to make you feel worthless, but I'm going to try. Here we go. Yeah. At the apartment building, Manson accidentally knocked on the wrong door and then abandoned the murder plan. On their way... <sighs> this is ridiculous. On, the, on their way out, Atkins pooped on the stairwell. Okay, well, there's DNA <laughs> right there. Well, so isn't that like a thing? Like, I, I feel like I've listened to enough like murder podcasts where like there was poop in the toilet because like all this adrenaline is going through your body and then like your body's like, I gotta go. And they go. <laughs> yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. No, I've heard like four or five of them where that's like a, like a thing. And it had to have been the same thing where, like, the adrenaline in your body is just going and then, I mean, I guess you end up shitting on a stairwell, but, like, yeah, that's the thing. I guess, I guess adrenaline does the same thing as coffee, like caffeine. Right. So it's like, yeah, it makes sense. Right. That's crazy. The tape murders became national news on August 9th, 1969. The housekeeper was the one who discovered the murder scene when she arrived for work that morning. Initially, the murders were thought to be a consequence of a drug transaction. And the autopsies from the Tate murder were underway before the La Bianca bodies were discovered. Detectives working on the Gary Hinman case noticed similarities between that case and the Tate case such as the weapons used, stab wounds, and writing in blood. Those detectives also thought the murders had something to do with drugs. The detectives on both teams started working together and sharing information. William Gerritsen, who was the caretaker at the Tate residence, was brought in and questioned, but he was released on August 11th after undergoing and passing a polygraph. The Labiaca... La Bianca crime scene was discovered around 10.30 p.m. on August 10th. Lino's body was discovered by his stepson, who was Rosemary's son from a previous marriage, and stepdaughter's boyfriend. That's awful. Yeah, he was 15. Oh, God. That kid's messed up for life. Yeah. After finding his body, they called the police who later found Rosemary in the bedroom. Which, I mean, I'm thankful that he didn't see his mom. Right. On August 12th, the LAPD told the press that there was no connection between the Tate and LaBianca homicides. Oh, because that's so for sure at this point. Yeah. Like, okay. In October, the LaBianca team checked with the sheriff's office to see if there were similar crimes. This is when they were for- informed about the Hinman case. The Hinman detectives had spoken with Bobby B's girlfriend, Kitty Lutzinger, who had been arrested with members of the Manson family a few days earlier related to car theft investigations. Kitty had told officers about the motorcycle game that Manson had hired to be security guards, and they ultimately came in for questioning. 
They were the ones who suggested the link between Manson and the Tate slash Lamiaka murders. I will say, what does the biker gang have to save them from? You know, like, yeah, he pays me for security. But other than that, like, I know they're creepy shit. Like, I'm not here trying to be associated with it. Exactly. Right. On December 1st, 1969, LAPD announced warrants for the rest for the arrest of Watson, Krenwinkel, and Kasabian. Manson and Atkins were already in custody but were not mentioned in the warrants or crimes. Hmm. Watson was picked up in McKinney, Texas. Ayo. That's hello, where I got hello. married. I was gonna say and Krenwinkel was picked up in Mobile, Alabama, as the warrants were national. Kasabian voluntarily surrendered in New Hampshire on December 2nd. Police matched Watson and Krenwinkel's fingerprints to those found in the Tate house. On September 1st, the 22 caliber revolver was found and given to the police by a 10-year-old who lived near the Tate house. Found by a local ABC television crew were bloody clothing worn by the Tate killers. A knife was found behind the cushion of a chair in the Tate living room. This knife was apparently Susan Atkins, but the other knives used were never found. Never? Okay. Like to this day. Okay. Never found. Mysterious. Yeah. Trial began on June 15th, 1970. Kasabian, Manson, Atkins, and Kronwinkle had been charged with seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy each. Okay. So they were each charged with seven. Not quite the correct count, but like it's a start. Yeah. Kasabian had not participated in any of the killings, so she was granted immunity for testifying. Oh, wow. Van Hutten only participated in the LaBianca killings, was charged with two counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Originally, Atkins made a deal that she would testify in exchange for not getting the death penalty, but she renounced that testimony and the deal was withdrawn. Judge William Keene granted Manson permission to act as his own attorney, but because of his conduct and conduct and essentially spewing nonsense the permission was withdrawn that's good i'm glad that this judge like recognized the bs and was like actually this was your right but i'm taking it away as a judge because you're a fucking idiot and you're scary and you're creepy and you don't deserve this like because if you think about it i mean we all know ted bundy was his own yeah there's many um who else did we cover? Wasn't Rodney? <laughs> I was like, yes, Rodney Akala. Yeah, he was his own. Like, it just, it takes a true psychopath to be like, yeah, I'm going to be my own attorney to yeah. further the torture of people. Right. 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 But Manson filed an affidavit of prejudice against Keene, who was replaced by Judge Charles Older. So the judge got replaced. Yeah. Okay. On the first day of court, Manson walked in with an X carved into his forehead. He stated that, quote, I am considered inadequate and 
and incompetent to speak or defend myself. I bet I have X'd myself from the world. What was this game he used to play when he was little? That insanity game? Yeah. Yeah, this is he's, big boy insanity game. He's looking pretty fucking real right now. Right. Yeah. Like, it's no longer a joke or a game. It's just real life. Yeah. The family members also did this with the ex. They etched that into their foreheads? Yeah, dude. Holy shit. Brain fucking washed. <laughs> I guess I'm sitting here, like, astonished. They also were, like, killing people because he said to, so. Yeah. Small potatoes versus big potatoes, so. Yeah. The prosecution's main argument was that Helter Skelter triggered Manson's motive. The defendants testified that the writing in blood on the walls was to copy the Hinman murder scene, not necessarily a race war. Even though he was a white supremacist. Yeah. Okay. During the trial, family members, family, like Manson family members, obviously, (laughs) were becoming very disruptive outside the courtroom. They also wore X's on their foreheads. Some family members even tried to dissuade witnesses from testifying. Specifically, witness Paul Watkins was badly burned in a suspicious fire in his van. And former member Barbara Hoyt was given a hamburger spiked with LSD. Oh, yeah. Um, That's terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to get, you know, persuaded to not testify. Like, uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah. That's so scary. On October 5th, Manson was denied permission to question a a prosecution's witness. Outraged, Manson lunged over the defense table and attempted to attack the judge. He was wrestled to the ground and removed from the courtroom with the female defendants who had started chanting in Latin during the encounter. Could you imagine being the jury or the judge at that point? I'd be fucking terrified. Like, this is so bizarre. Like, go ahead and just fucking dismiss me. Like, <laughs> I'm out. Goodbye. Right? What do you have to say to get on a jury duty? Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. going to say that. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, Bias? Yes. <laughs> I bias against anything that this is. Thanks. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. On November 19th, both sides rested their case. The defense did not call a single witness at this time, which caused Atkins, sorry, which caused Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten to demand their right to testify. Manson ended up testifying for over an hour the next day. I feel like most of his testifying could be like a rant and they just say, don't rant. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm insane. Mm, Yeah, essentially. Prior to closing arguments, defense attorney Hughes disappeared during a weekend trip. Maxwell Keith was appointed in Hughes' absence, which caused a two-week delay. As soon as trial resumed, Older banned the four defendants from the courtroom because they were acting in collusion with each other, essentially putting on a show, and he was like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm sick of it. You're done. On March 29, 1971, the jury returned verdicts of death against all four defendants on all counts. Well, sometimes you love the jury system. Yes. 
for the justice system. That's what I meant to say. So I knew what you meant. <laughs> sometimes you just love the justice system. Yeah. Like, that's that's a win. Good job, yeah. justice system. On April 19th, 1971, Judge Older sentenced them to death. But in 1972, the Supreme Court of California ruled that the state's death penalty laws were unconstitutional. I wasn't here. I wasn't ready. I wanted I wanted it. I we all did, honey. <laughs> like ugh. this commuted the death sentences to life in prison, which included the possibility of parole. Hold the phone. <laughs> they went from death penalty to like, don't worry, sweetheart. One day you'll get parole. What? Yeah. Those are dramatically different. Like not great, but we'll see what happens. Um, so now I'm going to talk about each of them and where they're at now. (laughs) Susan Atkins remained in prison until her death in 2009. She died of brain cancer at the age of 61. Heyo! At the time of her death, she was California's longest serving female inmate. She had been denied parole 14 times. I guess I'm here if you are denied parole consistently. Mm-hmm. Patricia Krenwinkel remains incarcerated. She is, she is now the longest incarcerated female inmate in California. She too was denied parole fourteen times. Oh, I stand by the good job. Don't let them out on parole. <laughs> Leslie Van Houten, Houten, <laughs> do Van this every Houten. time. Houten. Leslie Van Houten was only. Tw- <laughs> Leslie was only 21 when she was put on death row in 1971. She is still incarcerated and has been denied parole 22 times. Wow, that's insane. 22 times. I mean, that's got to be a record. You know, the other two are setting records for longest jail time, you know, but as many times as appealed for parole, like, yeah. I mean, that's your entire adult life. Like, imagine never having a legal alcoholic beverage and yeah. the rest of your life is spent Okay, in, but the 60s, prison. you know, I mean, they were doing drugs, they were I drinking mean, alcohol. I mean, she was on a little LSD, yeah. but like, legally, you know. <laughs> Actually, I think the drinking age back then was like 18 or like 16. It was? Yeah. It didn't wow, get changed the until you know. the 80s. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to have a conversation with my grandma, see what that yeah. was like. Yeah. That's a, let me in on that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tex Watson remains incarcerated and has been denied parole 17 times. He has become a born-again Christian. And let's talk about Charles. Good Let's old talk about Charles. Charles. You want to talk about mothers. Charles <laughs> no, Manson. Manson. <laughs> Charles Manson remained in prison until November 19th, 2017, when he died of cardiac arrest. Oh, I love a happy ending. He was 83 years old and had spent 70 of those years in some sort of supervised setting. So... In, he was in, institutionalized from the age of 13. 
and was still able to do so much damage to so many people's lives. That's honestly insane. Like, if there was a record, I'm sure he said it. Like, he was denied parole 12 times. Hell yeah, he was. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Charles Manson and the family. Oh, my God, the family. That's going to kill me. The family. I really freaking hate it. The fam. I've honestly didn't know all of that. Honestly. I've never taken any interest in the Manson family. I, so, what made me want to do this case is because Sharon Tate was coming up in, like, so many different, you know when things just, like, pop up randomly? Like, something, you hear something over and over and over again. So, like, Sharon Tate came up. I forget what I was watching, but I was watching something and they were talking about her and how pretty she was and all this stuff. And then... Wasn't it the book? What book? Were you reading a book that talked about her? No. Oh, never mind. No. And then I was watching Gilmore Girls and Lorelai Gilmore is sitting on the couch talking with Emily, her mother, and she made a reference to Tex Watson. And I was like, okay, so I have to do this. <laughs> and we were sign. graced by the Gilmore Girls gods. Yes. <laughs> okay. That would have made me do something too. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I get it. And now I want to stay inside. Make sure all your windows and doors are freaking locked because some creepy freakos. Don't let weird people in your house, dude. Okay, yeah. Some man's trying to come up and kiss your feet. Yeah, don't. You run. You just run. (laughs) You run. You run fast. You run hard. You don't look back. You don't go home. Like nothing. You just go. If people are in my house, I'm running. Yeah, that's just... No, that's a that no um let us know what you guys think about this one please email us at stayinsidepod at gmail.com follow us on instagram at stay inside podcast or follow us on twitter at stay inside pod we appreciate you please stay inside. we do make time stay inside okay bye, bye.